Ventures and Adventures in Topography. Essentially, topography is really nothing more than the detailed study of place, an area or region or town, etc. A show that takes the listener on a wayward topographical ramble around the margins of London. The walker at the edges of the city, the, the, the liminal figure who is not so conceptual in his practice. Drawing on a rich tradition of old walking guides, maps, literature and ephemera, Nick Papadimitriou and John Rogers embark on a series of suburban perambulations and outer circle rambles. I like those um, pre-moulded uh, concrete pails that run along the river here, with the, with the mosses and uh, lichens growing on them. For me, such things are psychedelic. Hello, you're listening to Ventures and Adventures in Topography on Resonance 104.4 FM with me, John Rogers, and my co-host, Nick Papadimitriou. Hello, Nick. Hello, John. I think we can't avoid starting the show, actually, before we get into the real business end of asking you where you have just come from, Nick. Uh, I've just been up on the so-called uh, North Middlesex Tertiary Escarpment, although you probably know it as the South Hertfordshire Minor Upland Belt with uh, the BBC Newsnight crew uh, making a 10-minute documentary to be shown on Newsnight next week. And uh, listeners, be prepared. You will not hear the last of it over the coming <laughs> six weeks, and it will crop up in probably every episode with a reference to something Nick has written. Uh, joyfully, I should say. So over the coming weeks, um, we'll be taking you on a series of lopsided rambles around the margins of London. Exploring zones and areas of the city, drawing on an eclectic range of references influenced by old topographical books, psychogeography, deep topography and the rather hopeless misreading of maps. Is that how you would describe the show, Nick? Um, pretty much, although I wouldn't go on the hopeless misreading of maps, as you put it. It's uh, been put to me a few times that I can't read maps properly, but I think I'm fairly good uh, with the old uh, map reading uh, and I've always found you perfectly sufficient, actually, so I think you're being a bit deprecating there, actually. Listeners decide, as we play you field recordings that are of the walks uh, that we undertake over the next six weeks. Um, if you happened to catch the first series of Ventures and Adventures in Topography, because we are, this is our second series, and we're absolutely chuffed to bits to be back on air on Resonance FM, uh, the first series was very closely guided by um, a collection of beloved old topographical books, old ramble books, mostly written in the interwar years. This time round, we're kind of branching out on our own a bit, Nick, aren't we? Yeah, we're going strictly zonal this time. Uh, it's a bit hard to define precisely what the parameters of a zone are, but uh, um, in this series we'll be visiting different sites and then working backwards towards literature from the visit of the site. Uh, perhaps it won't be... Uh, literature that's to do specifically with the site but is uh, atmospherically suggestive of it and uh, tonight we'll be looking at uh, the Brent Cross shopping centre down on the A406. And exactly why did we choose Brent Cross as uh, a subject for this radio show? I say we really, uh, it, was, it was your choice. It was me, it was me. Yeah, so, I mean, could you shed some light on why Brent Cross is worthy of a whole episode of Ventures and Adventures in Topography? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, as a topographer and living where I do in Child's Hill, uh, Brent Cross was bound to be uh, of interest to me. 
I can look out my kitchen window across the uh, valley of the River Brent towards the North Middlesex Tertiary Escarpment. And uh, there standing in the, in the way and blocking my view to some extent is the Brent Cross Shopping Centre. And I haven't done a lot of shopping at Brent Cross Shopping Centre, but I've spent a lot of time wandering around both inside the building and more particularly outside. Um, it's a low-lying, formerly swampy area, uh, once renowned for its sewage farms and also for the Hendon uh, Greyhound Racing Stadium. Uh, I like wandering around there. Lots of wild plants, fishes, herons and fishermen. And fishermen. Very interesting. And I suppose as well, it's, it, it's not an unnatural place for a soul such as you to end up because Brent Cross does crop up in Patrick Keeler's wonderful film, London. And uh, in that film, the, the narrator is describing a series of excursions with his friend, Robinson, who engages in exercises of psychic landscaping and free association, usually in marginal areas. And he does take a, a walk out to, to Brent Cross, which, he, which he, in the film, uh, Robinson says that if he were a poet, this is the place I would come to to write and feel instantly at home here. Ah, oh, Yes. Oh, yes. Well, it would seem that uh, he was on the right track there. Uh, I've often gone down there with my notebooks. I used to sleep down there periodically in the uh, little meadow to the western end of the site, uh, just beyond the disused car park. I, I know you know where I mean. I do. And places where you sleep is actually a theme of the first set of field recordings that we'll play in a moment. But I'd just like to actually play a little clip of you reading something you wrote after a walk to Brent Cross. Sounds good. Let's play this now. Beyond the sound of the birds and the rush of air through the thickets, a deeper note persisted. Down in the river valley, out of sight, the traffic rushed onwards, curving with the main road alongside the hidden river and passing beneath the brick viaduct which carries the electric railway over all this flowing water and steel. This is an area of confluence, of rivers, of traffic routes, of calibrated communities served by the grey hulk of the shopping centre over on the other side of the valley. I follow through via a new housing estate, less than ten years old, to a stream Weeds are slowly degrading the banks of concrete dating from the 1930s when this watercourse fed a sewage farm. Spring begins on January the 1st and I have already seen several plant species in full growth. White dead nettles and early goose grass. Snowdrops in the dry bank of the ditch running down from the old aerodrome's margin. So that piece of writing, I think, is called After a Hard Time in Brent Cross. Is that correct? I've got to be honest, John, I don't remember, and I don't actually remember either writing or reading that piece. Uh, I've produced so much over the last few years, uh, I've lost track. It's a lovely piece. I think you also mentioned Brent Cross in your, at the moment, sole publication, uh, Foul Deeds and Suspicious Deaths in Barnet, Finchley, Hendon, and somewhere else, Cricklewood or something. <laughs> I don't know. It was various sort of sleepy suburbs in northwest London. Something like that. Something yes. like that. So we uh, took a walk out to Brent Cross. We went from Golders Green through uh, various parts of northwest London that are quite unknown to me uh, to a, a, a closed Brent Cross shopping centre. This was our first walk on a kind of, as Nick would describe it, moiling mid August 
afternoon, oh, Sunday it was afternoon. Terrible. It was terrible. Yeah, the air was thick with midges and flying ants. So we took this walk out to Brent Cross, and here is an extended field recording of that derive, this drift, that manic fugue that we took that mid-August Sunday afternoon. So what are we gonna, where are we going to go? I was trying to work out the route from looking at a map. And what, to Brent Cross? Yeah. We're going to go through some sort of upper uh, Golders Green, dismal suburbia, and then down into the valley of the Brent. See how high we are here? Very high. Yeah. I'm not even sure this is the best route. Okay, we're coming down towards the A41T Hendon Way, which of course later on will become the Watford Bypass, one of my favourite roads. Very often, this is this park I very often sleep in it during the summer, and I like waking up in the small hours and seeing the traffic whir past on the A41T. It's an idyllic life in the suburbs. If we look north towards the Brent Cross shopping centre, we're looking across the valley of the River Brent. You can see the land drops down and then rises again, beyond the Claremont Estate, where the tower blocks are. And looking westwards, we're looking down into the valley of the uh, Clitterhouse Brook, and then up towards the highland of um, Golders Green. And also beyond that, you can see all the uh, woods on the Hampstead Massif. So the Brent Cross is over there between those tower blocks? It's behind the tower blocks on the other side of the River Brent, just where the land begins to rise towards Hendon. It's kind of incredible though that you could stand here in this park and look across towards one of the largest shopping malls in the United Kingdom and there'd be no visible sign of it from this, from this angle and from this height. That's right, but unfortunately the uh, Brent Cross development people want to now extend shops and buildings and tower blocks right through into this area here, practically right up to uh, Cricklewood, um, creating, I think it's 7,000 new homes, and the uh, opposition say 27,000 more cars a day will be travelling through the area. Uh, I'm not really concerned about the cars, I just think it's a shame that this beautiful swathe of green land here is going to be eaten up mm. in order to pump money into the pockets of uh, businessmen who live in Hampshire. There is always that feeling, isn't there, when we do these walks around the edges of London, that you're walking through areas and spaces which are going to change pretty soon. Yeah. You know, they're always the sort of places, I suppose, that we're drawn to. Yeah. Are always on the cusp of redevelopment, aren't they? In a way, that's part of their, not their charm, but it's part of the uh, bathos of the whole uh, experience. Mm. Or is it pathos? Could be a bit of both. <laughs> Have a bit of bathos <laughs> with your pathos. Okay, well, let's descend into uh, Brent Cross. Look at this lovely piece of graffiti here, Clitterhouse 1969. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's been there, how long would that be now? 40 years? I wonder what that would have meant in 1969, because they probably weren't referring to the brook, were they? It wasn't a kind of eulogy to the brook. Well, it's interesting that the presumably young man, possibly a skinhead who wrote it uh, for territorial reasons, uh, 
actually had a sense of his own locale to the point where he was able to refer to it by name and, and notably spell it correctly as well. And I bet pe well, people may well have called it Clitterhouse then in 1969. That might have been what people referred to this area as. Yeah. Blackberries over there. Yeah. Black, right, blackberries. Yep. I'm going to brave one. Although they may well have absorbed a bit of pollution. They have bloody gorgeous ripe blackberries. Mmm. Very tasty. I've been reading that uh, Richard Maybe book, mm -hmm. the uh, the unofficial countryside. Oh yes, yes. And he'd he'd love this bit of growth that we've got along the brick wall in this industrial estate here. You've mm -hmm. got a kind of a lay-by and there's a there's a trailer for an articulated lorry parked on one end. It's a really kind of really neglected, you know, even by lay-by standards, it's a fairly rough lay-by, isn't it? It's fairly scrappy. And along the curb here, you've got a whole kind of quite diverse ecology. Mm -hmm. I don't really know the names, apart from the blackberries, which are really, really ripe. Well, this is wormwood, right? which is... Um there's a lot of mythology attached and folklore attached to wormwood, isn't there? Yes, and also it's close sister mugwort, which was a sacred plant for the Saxons, according to books I've read. Wormwood was a, a component part of a, what's the green drink that French symbolist poets used to... Uh, ah, absinthe. Absinthe, yeah. Um, we obviously have the brambles, but I did also notice milfoil uh, further up. And this yellow flower, which is you often see in sort of old industrial land. Nick doesn't know the name of this yellow flower. It's probably some sort of like, I'm going to take a punt and get it wrong, but this is radio, so people can't see it, I suppose. Is that it could be some sort of mustard. Yeah, it is. Some sort of wild mustard, probably, isn't it? It's funny, because the leaves look like a rocket, or rucola in Italian. It tastes a bit like rocket. So here we are in the cultural epicentre of London Borough of Barnet, ground zero for consumerism. And we've got the flyover at the end of the road, carrying the traffic over the A5 towards the Welsh Harp. And over yonder on the other side of the River Brent, which is on the far side of the uh, North Circular Road, we have the Brent Cross shopping centre. So this is the Brent Cross flyover? Yeah. What's this uh, roundabout called? So what we got the M1, the uh, A41T. What else have we got here? It's, the it's, A3. Well, it's, it's, you must have heard it on traffic. The A5. News it's the Giuseppe Ungaretti roundabout. <laughs> if only it were. What is it called? I don't bloody know. You must know. Come on, you wanted to be the official uh, historian of Brent Cross. Yeah, but until they pay me some money, I'm not prepared to find out. Uh. From this elevated walkway that we've just crossed underneath the viaduct here, you get a view down at the Brent Cross Shopping Centre with its 8,000 car parking spaces, many of which look occupied at the moment, even though I think the shopping centre is just closing. Let's go and find Nick lying on the grass on a roundabout.
probably falling asleep. Have you ever slept on this roundabout, Nick, on this traffic island? No. I did want to sleep in a traffic island at Hayes, hid in the shrubbery with a half bottle of whiskey and some skunkweed. Watch the traffic go past all night. It was quite good. That was a lovely evening, that. I started off at Acton and just followed the uh, canal all the way down to Hayes and then got plastered. I think I ended up at Maidenhead the next day. The wildlife. There's a heron circling over us. We've just been sitting down in this little bit of meadowlands just uh, near Brent Cross, by the banks of the River Brent. And uh, there's been a couple of herons circling around. As Nick said, with a belly full of frogs. They'd scooped up out of the Welsh Harp Reservoir. So it's a good hour really after the shopping centre's closed. It's a fine building, isn't it? Yeah, it is in, in its own way, isn't it? It reminds me of sort of East European Conference Centre. Yeah, it reminds me somehow of the um, the ark that they built over Chernobyl to seal the radiation in. <laughs> right. Actually, hey, I love these. Uh, look at these uh, great gantries. Yeah, for the uh, for the streetlights in the car park, they're like sort of flying saucers. Very well put. Very well put. The, the, the other reference I suppose this throws up is the, is the Patrick Keeler reference um, to London where they come out here and, uh, and Robinson talks about this as a place that he would write poetry and then he mentions that he, you know, has a, that he meets somebody who is re reading Walter Benjamin. Um, what you, you know, the link there I suppose being the, the arcades, the Parisian arcades that Benjamin wrote about were centres where you know the flaneur you know gave birth to the idea of the flaneur who strolled the boulevards and the and the arcades and you know if you want a boulevard and arcade today you probably have to come somewhere like this if you want to find groups of people congregating and socialising in public you're more likely to do it at a shopping mall than probably anywhere else. From the Arcades Project by Walter Benjamin. An intoxication comes over the man who walks long and aimlessly through the streets. With each step, the walk takes on greater momentum. Ever weaker grow the temptations of bistros, of shops, of smiling women. Ever more irresistible the magnetism of the next street corner, of a distant square in the fog, of the back of a woman walking before him. Then comes hunger. He wants, however, nothing to do with the myriad possibilities offered to sate his appetite. But like an animal, he prowls through unknown districts in search of food, in search of a woman, until utterly exhausted, he stumbles into his room, which receives him coldly and wears a strange air. That anamnestic intoxication in which the flaneur goes about the city not only feeds on the sensory data taking shape before his eyes, but can very well possess itself of abstract knowledge, indeed of dead facts, as something experienced and lived through. This felt knowledge, as is obvious, travels above all by word of mouth from one person to another. Well, I rather like Brent Cross. 
not, not, you know, I'm not making an apology for consumerism. I'm being a phenomenologist here. Mm. I'm bracketing out my ethical concerns and just looking at what presents itself. You could say I'm, 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 um, you could say I'm um, opting out and going for a, a, a voluntary submission to the notion of um, spectacle. But nevertheless, it's something that I find in the environment, and I engage with it. And I, uh, ha- you know, it, 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 you know, in, in my sort of marginalised state that I'm quite happy with sometimes, and I find a curse at other times. I find that um, Brent Cross Shopping Centre has a sort of zesty, racy, democratic sexiness about it. So there we were, walking out circling a closed shopping centre back in mid-August. Nick, what memories do you have of that day or any further observations? Uh, if I remember rightly, we were both feeling singularly ill on that occasion. We were both very ill, yeah. Uh, we both came down with viruses the next day, didn't we? Uh, and I remember thinking, God, how am I going to get through a whole new series of ventures and adventures in topography? But it passed, and our next visit uh, was a far more positive experience, wasn't it? Uh, when we actually went inside the shopping centre, inside the mall itself. We did actually go inside the mall. Um, and I think what we'll do is we'll play out with a recording of our return to Brent Cross. What I'd like to flag up in advance, though, it'd be interesting to see if you notice, as I did when I listened back, is the difference in the pace at which we talk when we're inside the shopping centre to when we're out. That in itself is almost like a psychogeographical experiment. I look forward to it. So it'll be interesting. So um, here we are with uh, another read, another field recording, I should say. Um, if we do run out of time and we play out on this, I'd like to thank Hayley LePayne for that reading and the wonderful music by Europa 51, who also composed the title track as well as the music to that um, field recording. So uh, here we are on our return to Brent Cross in, uh, I don't know, that was also in August. On a Thursday evening, the late night shopping. It was quite a while later, wasn't it? About three weeks, four weeks? Three weeks, four weeks. And actually what's interesting, which isn't mentioned in the field recording, is Brent Cross, amongst the numerous things it pioneered, was late night shopping. Ah, yes. So here we are. The American shopping experience. The American shopping experience. So uh, here we are. God bless it. And we'll play out with this. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, We'll be back here again next Wednesday. I'm not sure, at 5 o'clock or 5.30, one or the other. But we'll be here. And this show will be podcasted and available from the Resonance FM website. We have a... We have a website, don't we, that I think you're going to write something for. I am indeed. Venturesintopography.wordpress.com And thank you very much to Ray on the desk here. So we'll play out with this. Lord knows it could stop anywhere on this, our trek around Brent Cross Shopping Centre. I think the trick is not to sneer. A lot of what passes a psychogeography would be people coming in and sneering at this. Yeah. But these are good, honest people trying to live their lives. I tell you, there have been times in my life where I've quite enjoyed hanging out in shopping centres. I mean, now it sort of gives me a, a headache and a nosebleed, but uh, there were times in my life. I could see uh, yeah. beginnings of a, uh, blood dripping from your nose right as we speak. I do get very dehydrated very quickly, and I'm getting very dehydrated now. And then that will get sort of like a dull headache. This is the 80s come 90s techno dome. Yeah. In the 1970s it was more a sort of fibreglass um, dome Mickey. with pieces of coloured perspex mounted in it. Ah. Rather suggestive of a, a, a brutalist modern French cathedral. Sort of thing you'd hear Oliver Messier in playing his organ in. Ah, so how would you describe it now? It's kind of just dull now, isn't it? It's kind techno of techno sort of sub-terminal five. Yeah. 
it would go well with an LP by Japan. I remember coming down here while they were building it, a huge gouged hole in the ground where the um, where the um, Greyhound Stadium used to be. And of course this was the site of the Hendon Urban District Council sewage farm. I'd have to say, this is probably one of the more relaxed and sort of elegant shopping centres. I'm rather fond of it. I, I don't sneer. I mean, I was thinking of approaching them and asking if I could be their official historian. You don't know that much about Brentcross, really, though, do you? I know a fair amount. Yeah. Yeah. Enough to be the official historian? Well, I mean, I'd just do the research and... Uh, I just do the research and um But you're not even an unofficial historian though, are you? You're not you're not a historian. What am I then, John? Well I don't know, this is what we'd be trying to work out. Aren't you the self-styled deep topographer? I hear the sneer in your voice when you say that. Self-styled. Never never sounds flattering, does it, to be the self-styled anything? Put it this way, I'm not a psychogeographer, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, yeah. always reminds me of the Starship Enterprise. I say it reminds me. I've never seen anything on the <laughs> telly that looks like the Starship. Yeah. And as if you've been on the Starship Enterprise and experienced it the same way that you've been in Brent well, Cross. Imagine this taking off and going into deep space. Everyone's shopping as uh, we circle the moon. I'm sure that if, if there were the enormous space cruisers, they would have to have a sort of shopping precinct on them, wouldn't they? Certainly. Because one, one of the things that people um, level at these shopping centres is a negative thing, is that they're neutral and they're, and they're these non-spaces or unspaces as people, the popular term for them. But I think actually that's almost one of their benefits, because if you lived, say, some, you know, if you live in Cricklewood, it's quite nice to come somewhere that isn't, doesn't feel like Cricklewood. Necessarily. I'm not saying that as a slight against Crickwood, it's the same wherever you are. I don't think it, they are non-spaces. I think there's probably people who've got very happy memories of these places. Staff and um, consumers. Yeah, but I say non-space in the sense that they're neutral, that they could be anywhere. When you walk through that door, you, I've been to shopping centres in Singapore which are not dissimilar to this one. When you're in Singapore, when you're in Bangkok for example, which out in the street is utterly alien and foreign, but you step inside a shopping mall and you could actually be anywhere. You could be in Europe again, or you could be in North America. But according to you, you couldn't be anywhere other than a shopping centre. That's right, exactly. You could only be in a shopping centre. It doesn't matter that we're in Cricklewood. So you could now. just say we could just as easily be in Bangkok? Yeah, that's right, exactly, yeah. yeah. So that's what I mean, that's almost, I'd say that's actually... I don't think that makes it a non-space, that makes it a shopping centre space. Oh, okay. As opposed to a Bangkok space or a London space. I think to call it a non-space is uh, unduly negative and has elements of that amateur psychogeographic sneer. That's another good thing about shopping centres, you get given free stuff, or you just got given some free nibbles. To answer your question, I have my preferences. Yeah. I prefer marshy areas around the edges of motorways to shopping centres. Mm. But I just don't want to come here and sneer. It's too easy. Because that is sneering, isn't it? To call it a non-space, or non-space is a bit sneery. Mm. But I think some of the sneeriness comes from the fact that we don't like that these places are very corporate and they're very profit-driven and they're very cold in that sense and they want to take from us rather than give to us. Is that That's what they're built to do because, because this particular shopping centre, for example, is co-owned by Hammersons, who are 
a massive multinational shopping centre developer and Standard Life Insurance Company. So when you look at it from that point of view, you don't really want to give it any credit for being anything positive or benign. You want to load it with negative connotations because of who else who's it associated with, you know. Yeah, I know, but I mean, it's not exactly going to end up in the hands of the um, crickled branch of the Communist Party, is it? Well, we can, but I hope we can try to start now.